Game seven, eight seconds left, home team down by one. Oh, the home team strips the ball and the point guard is all alone. But it appears that there's a wet spot on the free throw line. The fans go silent. Their championship aspirations flash before their eyes. Wait, someone's running out on the court. Oh my, it's the towel boy. How did he clean it so fast? The point guard takes off and dunks the ball. Game over, the crowd erupts. Towel boy, towel boy. Hello, everybody, and thank you for that gorgeous standing ovation. Welcome to another episode of the Towel Boys NBA podcast. I, of course, am Andy, joined with Landon, and we are very excited as this is our first podcast into the new NBA season. You know, we've seen some basketball. Landon and I are, are excited to talk about what we've seen through the first few weeks of games, to react to some of the biggest storylines, and kind of discuss how we think the rest of the season is going to unfold. So, Lennon, what are we going to talk about on this podcast? Why don't you lay it out for us? So, yeah, I was sick for a little while here, and we weren't able to podcast. I couldn't speak that well. Andy was actually sick the week before that. So, oh, yeah. basically, since the season has started, we have, we have been uh, slacking here. But we're ready to get back into it. And today, we are bringing you our five biggest takeaways from the NBA season thus far each so we will uh alternate here going back and forth just kind of breaking down the uh the most important aspects we've been seeing in the league so far and how that's gonna affect the league going forward so i'll just start right here because mine is a very general uh first takeaway and that is that the middle of the east is giving me really good vibes and what i mean by that is it's all these teams that are competitive. They don't have necessarily one stud that's just carrying their team. It's a lot of teams with with three or four guys that are contributing relatively equally. And the teams that kind of group into this, it's a lot of teams this year because the East is pretty good. Um, the Wizards, for instance, are one of these teams. Bradley Beal has not been amazing this year. But they still have guys like Kyle Kuzma stepping up, averaging, you know, 10 rebounds a game. And KCP, who they got in the Lakers trade. Montrez Harrell was in, like, the basketball reference MVP tracker for a week or so, which doesn't really mean anything. But it's just funny to see his name up there because he's putting in those kind of stats that go into that equation that they use for that MVP tracker. So there's a team like that that's really competitive that nobody really saw coming. You got the Knicks with Randall and Barrett and Mitchell Robinson and Fournier, Kemba Walker, of course. All of these guys that are just contributing to a bigger goal, each can step up in any given game. Cavaliers, the Celtics, the Hornets, the Raptors, the Bulls. I'm going to throw in this conversation because I don't think that they're at the top of the East with Miami and Milwaukee and, and Brooklyn. I think they fall into this pack with Levine and Lonzo and Vooch. And DeRozan, who's been playing out of his mind, I love watching all of these teams and I find them really intriguing whenever they're matched up with each other because it's like this is how the race at the end of the year in this conference is going to be affected. Each of these matchups plays a pretty important part. So I love watching them. And the Hawks are in this conversation too, by the way. And and you didn't even mention the 76ers who you may be classifying as a, 
a top contender. They're in between. Really, yeah, yeah. But but really, at the beginning of the season, it was it was the Nets and the Bucks, and there was some hype about the Heat around the Heat. But some people didn't really believe in in Kyle Lowry's upgrade over Drogic. But um, of course, it's paid off through nine games. But yeah, I mean, look, this is the deepest the East has been in a while. I I look at the standings, Landon, and I see. 12 to 13 teams out of the 15 that could legitimately push for a top 10 seed and make that play in 13 teams. I mean, all the way down through the Pacers, like the Pacers are three and seven, but they have the talent. They have some injuries. They've been injured the whole year and they have a great coach now. Right. So I mean, who's to say they can't make it? Nobody. It's, it's it's really interesting. They're five healthy. Like TJ Warren back is, you know, something that they haven't had in a while, but Warren, Lavert, Brogdon, Sabonis, Turner is a really, really good starting five that yep. could be a fourth seed in the East if they were healthy the whole year. So, yeah, they're in that yep. mix too. Definitely. No, I, I like that take a lot. Makes sense. And really, when I look at the standings, the only teams I, I really think will are like locked in for a top four seed at this point are, are the Nets, Milwaukee, because I think that they'll get healthy and, and start rattling off wins. And I mean, really, after that, who knows? Because teams like the Sixers and the Heat, if they have injuries, they're not as deep as some of these other teams. So sure. I don't really know how many other teams are locks for the top four spots. So it, it really will come down to the wire, and, and every game matters and has mattered so far. And there's a lot of basketball left. But uh, I don't, I, I don't know if I would say any team in the East is a lock for a top four seed right now. Uh, like I, Nets included because KD goes down or Harden goes down and they could easily go two and you know two and five in those next seven games or something. Look, from what we've seen, I I tend to agree. I'd still say that the Nets in Milwaukee for me are the locks. But yeah, if Durant gets hurt, Giannis gets hurt, then that completely changes. Um, right. But you know, well, look now. I mean, Drew and. Middleton and Brooke have all been injured and the Bucks are four and five. So I know, I know. Yeah, it, yeah. it doesn't take much. No. So I will go ahead and start off my list with an East team that you did mention, but I'm going to dive a little bit deeper and say that the Toronto Raptors mm. have the most athletic rotation that I've ever seen. And if they're able to push up these shooting numbers that they have not been great at this year, from especially from deep, then they could be a legitimate contender in the East. And I did not see that to start the year. I thought that they were in rebuilding mode, trading Lowry. But think about the length of these defenders and the ability to 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 drive to the basket to break up passes. You Gary Trent Jr., who's an amazing defender. Uh, OG Ananobi, Scotty Barnes, Pascal Siakam, those four guys can really switch, maybe less so Trent on centers, but these other three guys can switch on anybody and play really good defense. Plus, they have Precious Achua and Chris Boucher off the bench, who are incredibly athletic too. The Raptors can throw out these insane lineups with extreme length that can really frustrate offenses. And if they can kind of figure out their shooting, which has improved over the past three games specifically. I think they're like 17th in the league in three-point shooting. But if the Raptors can bump up and get inside that top 10 um, from the three-point range, it'll open up driving lanes. Siakam's going to start working back into the rotation. And right now, they're, they're kind of playing the small ball lineup, or at least they did 
today or, or yesterday where Siakam's at the five. I think it was today. It's, it was it's today. An, it, it's an interesting, Nets, yeah. yeah, it's an interesting lineup. And I, I really think that the Raptors could <laughs> end up being like a top six team in the East and, and beating a lot of the other teams that we thought they'd have no chance at. You don't mean contender, though. I know you said contender, but what, what, they they can't be a contender. They can't win the East, but they can get to no. the second round. I I really I from, mean from what I see from the rotation, I think it's possible. They they don't they lack the perimeter creation to be a true threat, and it's like you were saying. Out of, I mean, they have I, I don't even D Banton. I'm looking at their rotation from today. Honestly. I follow the NBA, you know, obviously very closely. This is the first time I've ever heard of D. Banton, uh, Deland, De no, Delano Banton, who played 12 minutes in their game today as their ninth man. And you're not going anywhere with that kind of, of guy in your rotation. So No, but who, <laughs> who's to say that, that a player like Goran Dragic, who seemed to work his way out of the rotation, can't get back in it? And then he's going like, to wow. get traded. He's going to get he, traded. He may. You never know. Or bought out. You're, Regardless, trade him. They, they for wouldn't. Some sort they of wouldn't piece. take him out of the rotation to bring him back in, unless like injury occurred. But but that when you bring in a guy that's making nineteen million dollars a year, you know what you're doing when you take him out. You know you're telling him like we don't need your services. Be ready to be traded. I would I would generally agree, but I've seen weirder things where let's say the Raptors really took Dragic out of the rotation to give some of these young players more playing time, thinking they would not be as good as they are. The Raptors start rolling off wins, and they don't find a trade partner. Dragic, if if it gets to the deadline and they don't trade Dragic for whatever reason, they're going to play him. I don't They'll think he's just going to sit on the bench. I, I don't know. I just, I just, I think that the organization knew what it was doing. Dragic insulted the Raptors when he started out. He was in the rotation to open the year. And the the Raptors decided that he didn't fit their profile of like long, lengthy, you know, wings, and they ended up kicking him out of the rotation for good, in my opinion, because there's just no other reason to do that unless it's for good, because he's a stud, and they know that he's a vet that's been really good very recently. They knew what they were doing. Regardless of Goran Dragic, getting back to the kind of the main point. Because right. ultimately, yeah. Dragic is not the, the make or break here. Um, I, I really like the team. I think Van Vliet um, is obviously not a number one creator. Siakam's going to have to really play well. Like you said, there are some questions as to who a number one option can be. But that's right. why I think with improved shooting, it can open up the floor for a lot of Where's drivers. Where's that coming from, guys. though? Because, like, Ananobi is a... You know, he's a fine shooter. He's not going to become magical overnight. We know Siakam isn't that good. Scotty Barnes, he's not developing a shot overnight. Gary Trent is streaky, and then Van Vliet is phenomenal at shooting. You'll but, need Van Vliet, Trent, Ananobi to put up consistent shooting numbers. Which is unlikely. Scotty Barnes to develop. Right? Look, I, I am talking about the potential of the team. What I've seen <laughs> with the rotation, and specifically what I've seen the last few games with how the shooting numbers have gone up to about 38% which is really where you want to be. And if the Raptors can maintain that level of shooting and allow for games where Van Vliet and Trent just go off as well, I really think that they can upset a team or two in the East. Put the Raptors up, this Raptors team, with a developing Scotty Barnes, a lot of these other young guys who are going to build chemistry against the 76ers, with Embiid banged up in the playoffs like he always is, they could take that's, them down. That's the one that I'll give you. 
They can but take this down. team is not coming close, not even close, to competing with Miami, Brooklyn, or Milwaukee. Those are the three teams that I think pro- they probably would have no chance of beating. One hundred. Anybody like else? Zero shot. Anybody zero else chance. they can beat, and that's that gets them to the second round. They played. That's fine. Teams. Yeah, I thought. But when you say contender, like they can't, they can't beat a top three team in the East. No, I, I think there's there's too much separation. Yeah. Um, All right. Let's move on to my number four one, and this one is really breaking my heart, and. I think I finally have to concede that the Minnesota Timberwolves do not have a good future and are bad They're at booty. basketball. Yeah, booty. it's really sad because I've been trying to support them for so long as my, like, you know, not second team, but just team that I like to bring up on the podcast and talk about and just support when I'm talking to you on here. And they, they just are hopeless. It's like no matter what they do, they have Carl Anthony Towns who – should be a top 15 player at this point. He's been in the league for like seven years. And he takes like 12 shots some games. He's just not assertive. He should be taking, you know, eight threes a game. He should be posting up. He should be doing all these things that he's just not doing. And then you have Anthony Edwards (laughs) absorbing like 22 shots a game or something and just like leading this team pretty much just, uh, he's like taking on that mantle of, Telling the other guys, you know, you need to be more intense. You need to pass the ball. You need to do all these things. And one of the biggest issues with that is D'Angelo Russell, who is supposed to be the other leader on this team that they brought in to appease Carl Anthony Towns, has been horrible this year. And I've always held out hope for D'Lo since I saw him in, in that Nets run a few years back. I was like, this guy can show up again. He can be clutch. He can create shots for others and he can hit those like step back threes that allowed him to be one of the better perimeter creators in the game back then. And since his injuries have just accumulated over all this time and that trade to the Warriors, uh, I don't know, it just kind of changed things for him. He's just at a point now where you can't trust him as your third best player in this instance. He's like your fourth best player and he's an average one at that. You know, I, I feel like a me character in, in Wii, after they win a game and they, like, you know, kind of put their hands together, like, cross their fingers and, like, shake left and right on each side of their body for a like, victory dance. That's how yes. I feel right now about this Minnesota Timberwolves conversation. <sighs> and I'll say this. I'm not going to rub it in too much. The organization's a mess, and it's not just the players. When you don't have that that top-down focus – like, I mean, we've, we, we see it all the time. Like, there's organizations that can consistently uh, get their teams to the right spots, playoff-wise, record-wise. You have the Raptors, who we know their their culture, just as the Heat, just as the Warriors lately, has, has been much improved than teams like the Magic and the Timberwolves. And a lot of that has to do with the market and the fan base. But still, you need leadership. No, it's not the market because down. the Raptors have nothing to do with the market. Well, no, but, I mean, yeah, the North. <laughs> but <laughs> that's all I had to say there. Uh, no, but like, so when you look at the Timberwolves, they've been a mess forever. When was the last time the Timberwolves were really good? Even Kevin Garnett, who there was 2004 or whatever. Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, he was good enough to, you know, I, it's a mess. So what what I see, you, you touched on it. Anthony Edwards kind of taking over, having that mantle passed to him. And I, I really think it's a sign that the Timberwolves, 
kind of view Anthony Edwards as their franchise player now. And I agree. Carl Anthony Towns is better, but in this guard heavy league with what Anthony Edwards did last year, the flashes, the flashes he showed, the poster, the, some of the takeovers with long three-point shots. It's just, it's really hard. There's two centers in the league, two big men, who have proven to be able to be number one options that are reliable. And it's not even Anthony Davis. It's Joel Embiid and Nicole Jokic. And even if you are a slightly worse player, which I would consider Carl Anthony Towns to be a slightly worse player talent-wise than both of those guys, that still may not be enough. And we're clearly seeing the discrepancy with the Timberwolves not allowing Cat to just do everything. And maybe it's just that Cat's timid and he doesn't have that focus because he's playing for the Timberwolves and he's not going to be here forever. I'm sorry, Minnesota. But Anthony Edwards is that guy. He's taking more shots. He's taking the last shots. And it just seems like Cat's going to want out soon. And don't get me started on D'Angelo Russell, who I think is so overrated. Uh, just massively overrated, <laughs> inefficient, yeah. streaky. We know should be a we better know. passer. And the rest of the rosters, I mean, it's young, but they're not ready to win now. And it, it seems like at some point, getting rid of Cat for a huge, huge haul maybe a better rebuild strategy. I don't know because if they can't win with this team, what are they going to do? Look, I mean, if if they do that, they should do it with Golden State this year. So that that and, would be my yeah, personal would, opinion. Oh goodness, that would be. <laughs> like Kamingo, Wiseman, Moody. Obviously, you're taking Wiggins back, which is kind of hilarious. But then, like three future firsts, like unprotected. Honestly, if you need to, just because the Warriors are desperate and want to win in the in their window. I yeah. I, and, I stand. Yeah, go ahead. No, I, I'm just like. First of all, that debatably makes the Warriors title favorites. And oh yeah. yeah. Second of yeah. all, that might be the best package i've heard of like with all these superstar trades and everything that might be the best one that that has occurred if that were to happen that's what i was going to jump in and say i i really think the warriors can go out and get any superstar that's available even though teams don't want the warriors to be this dynasty again they have they could put together one of the better trade packages i've I've seen in recent years the past decade or two it's tremendous it's incredible how they have Steph, Draymond, and soon to be hopefully a healthy Clay, and they have all of this young talent with these top picks and that they've taken and, and all these first round draft picks that they can. I trade think we in. need it's, to see a Wiggins Minnesota reunion. I no. <laughs> all <laughs> Please right. no. On to your next one. All right. My next one is another sad story, another sob story in the West. Um I think you're gonna know where I'm going here. But the Pelicans have oh. failed Zion, and Zion, frankly, has failed the Pelicans too. And there's just zero chance that he stays more than another few years. He's gone. When the contract's up, he's gone. Because well, it's not that easy, though. Well, so here's, here's why. So the Pelicans clearly have not been able to construct a roster that can win now. And I know they're missing Ingram. They've missed him for some of these games, and I know they haven't had Zion, and it's really hard to win without some of your top players. But the, it's, what are they doing with these roster moves? Steven Adams last year, and then Valanchunas, which is fine, but the whole point of having Zion, this like generational talent who can really play center, is to allow him to space the floor, and they're just not doing it with the roster they built. And I 
don't have any faith in them building out this roster anymore to help them win now. And with Zion and Brandon Ingram, they're not really in a position, even though their team's not very good, to rebuild. They need a win now. These are these are Brandon Ingram's a former All-Star. Zion, if he's healthy, is a future All-Star. And how about the flip side? Zion, massively overweight, not healthy. I know the injuries aren't his fault, but there are things he could do to put himself in a better position physically to avoid injuries. And he just didn't do that with the reports of him being overweight coming into camp and all these frustrations that we hear. It just, the situation seems like a mess ready and it just began. Yeah, I, I find it hard to judge people based on their weight because so much goes into that. And, and like, yes, he is like looking that way, but maybe he was instructed not to do X, Y, and Z or else it could, you know, aggravate his injury. So like, I want to refrain from judging too hard on that. I know that that's pretty commonplace in the NBA yeah. Twitter world, but beyond that, the handling of his foot injury was really strange between him and the Pelicans organization and everything. If I had to guess, um, you know, Zion's camp probably told the Pelicans, don't report this or else, blah, blah, blah. And then it ended up just kind of leading into the regular season. And now we're just waiting on him to return with all the reports about like his weight and all the reports about how the Pelicans are just really sketch when it comes to his footagery and everything. And now it's all just like blowing out of proportion and making the whole Zion to the Knicks thing even more obnoxious than it should be. <laughs> so yeah. the issue that I was referring to earlier with this is the structure contracts in the NBA don't lend themselves to stud young players leaving their teams because they get that offer, you know, for $160 million over four or five years or whatever it may be from their current team as an extension before they hit free agency. And then if you put that off another year and take the qualifying offer, which is, you know, maybe seven, $8 million for a number one pick, then you risk injury. And for a guy like Zion, you could be foregoing $150 million putting yourself in harm's way. And if he has a career ending injury, which is very possible, he could, you know, lose out on generational wealth. So more than likely he's with the Pelicans for another two or three years. It's really just a matter of similar to Anthony Davis how does this affect his his future, not necessarily like in two years, but in four years or, or six years when he's eventually, you know, at the end of his second contract, does he then try to get out of New Orleans because that's, you know, when it's appropriate? So I'll, I'll address the, the weight comment or the, your response and then that kind of second part and then we can move on. Um, so I'm not... Look, I, I'm not a team doctor. I'm not Zion. I don't know what's best for him in terms right. of weight. But what I do know is that there is some correlation between weighing more and having a harder time avoiding injuries when you're landing. Of course. Jump with a, as athletic as he is. So all I was saying on that is that there's there's just no way that Zion should be above 300 pounds. And there's no way that's helpful for him coming off of a foot injury where he's going to need to land on his foot, which now has to support 300 pounds. <laughs> no, just, he, but what are you going to like? 
I'm sure there are ways, but I'm just saying, like, it's not like you can run to keep your your body fat down. Like, what are you gonna do? You break your foot? What What do you do to stay fit? That's like, I don't know. I just don't know what he could have done. I look. I I don't know all the different exercises. We're not gonna get into this detail. Sure. I'm just you, you, I'm just yeah. saying people are judging him a little too harshly because like nobody knows what he could or couldn't do with that broken foot sure but speculating that's what <laughs> nba twitter does that's what i'm doing correct and it's my job as a as an individual with a podcast to raise these red flags so i think you're getting paid for it to be a job <laughs> who said i'm not mm-hmm. well i'm not so uh, all right correct. but the second the second portion of what you said is that it's likely that zion stays for four years because of how contract structures are and you're not wrong but each year that we move on there seems to be more and more power in the in the favor of players the players are able to demand more so if zion truly is having issues with the pelicans who knows if he would pull an anthony davis and literally sit out and demand a trade it's possible it's very possible that with four years with four years left on your deal, we're seeing right now that that's not so easy with Simmons. Sure, but in a year or two, with a year or two left, with how much the Pelicans could get for him, I'm just saying it's a possibility if things continue to worsen and the relationship is not fixable, which I'm not saying we're at that point yet. But I'm just throwing it out there because we've seen all these issues, and if the Pelicans are truly scared about Zion's future health and Zion wants out, who knows? That's all I'm saying. All right. But- Go ahead. On, on to my third takeaway. So Damian Lillard is in a lose-lose situation right now. And a new takeaway from this for me is that it is Damian Lillard's fault. And there are other people in this mix that share the blame. But I'm going to put a large amount of it on Dame. And... The issue here is that he basically is just continuing to throw himself in this hole where he tells the Blazers that he wants to be there, tells the Blazers, I'm going to be here for life. And then, I don't know, he plays poorly for these first two weeks. So now it's like, let's say he wanted to change that and and go, you know, form a team elsewhere. It's his fault. Like he has to take the responsibility now because he's the one playing poorly. So now he's locked in for the season because, you know, you can't leave when you're playing badly and you're the reason the team's not performing well. Then when you exceed beyond that, you're looking at just what he says to the team and to the fans. And it's like, he's not going to keep his promise if he wants to go elsewhere. So it's he's just like causing issues for himself that don't need to be there. He could just be quiet and not say anything and go about his business, which is kind of like what his personality seemed to indicate like he would do for a while. But now like every day there's a new report coming out with a quote from Dame about how he loves the team. He's not going anywhere. He's really screwing himself over here in terms of just like the press and how he's going to be perceived when he eventually makes that move because I think he will. That's the problem. Will he? Because I agree he should. Like, I think he will. Yeah. 
it, it would make sense for the Blazers, um, even if Damian Lillard says, I don't want to leave, for them to kind of nudge him and say, well, we think it would be mutually beneficial Agreed. for you to go. Um, yep. And I think that's when Dame may change his mind. And I don't think he wants to be the guy that that kind of lets down the Portland fan base by, I mean, really one of their best players ever leaving. Um, and if He just shouldn't have put out, himself in this position. No, no. And, and constant, see, there, there's two sides to it. I, I'd push back and say, well, when Damian Lillard's being asked daily, are you going to leave? It's really hard to not directly address it or else there's going to be even more speculation. But he so, can do it like Beal. Beal's doing it right. He's not saying, yeah, like I'm going to stay here for my career. He says stuff like, I'd like to stay here for my career. He says stuff like, like, yeah, I like it here. Like stuff like that. Whereas yeah, like yeah. Dame is just coming out with like blatant statements, basically promises. And it's just a risky way to go about this whole situation. And it like brings in your like morally questionable decision when you eventually want to leave because then you can't just like do it without guilt. No, it, it does. It's, it's going to be like Damian Lillard really is one of the most loyal players in the league. We've seen it time and time again, We've seen all the comments he's made. Like really the Blazers have, have pretty much gone in the same direction trying to win for the past like five or six years and have consistently fell short. And it's not Damian Lillard's fault. He's the best player on the team. He's been an incredibly clutch playoff performer. And frankly, it's the Blazers kind of letting him down. And he's still here. Maybe, maybe. But but it could be that like Dame is telling them don't trade CJ. You know what I mean? Like he oh, no, loves it CJ. Be. It could be. It could be. Um, but at some point the Blazers have to trust their general manager and their their owner and whoever else is involved in, in serious trade decisions and kind of talk to Dame and, and walk him through it. And if you are only listening to your franchise player who is a basketball player, not a, a statistics and analytics um, expert who knows how to run a team and understands team structure, like, I mean, right, but we also don't know just... what has been on the table for CJ over the years. No, we don't, but clearly it hasn't worked. So they have to mix it up or else Dame will eventually leave or he'll be too old where he can't lead a team anymore. And who knows if he can even be the best player on a, on a championship team. We don't know. No, my point is that like, my point is that the front office of the Blazers, we don't know if they're at fault because Maybe a trade was on the table to trade CJ for like a worse player. You know what I'm saying? Maybe there has never been a trade that's materialized to trade him for a better player. So whatever they did could have made the Blazers worse for all these years. Maybe they just never got presented with the opportunity. What I do know factually is that Dame has really put himself in a bad position with with how he's gone about this whole Blazer for life thing. Yeah. And you want to start your third Yep, let's do it. My third is that I, I've seen enough over the past year and the beginning of this year. Nikola Jokic, to me, is officially a top four player in the league. He's the most important player on any team. Um, and I like he's up there. He's a top three or four contender right now for MVP again based on his stats. Somehow, Nikola Jokic's stats have actually improved, where he shot 3% better another percent better from three, shooting 40% from three. He has three more rebounds a game. It's 
he's playing less minutes. I don't understand it. This guy is absolutely insane. When Greg Popovich threw out the Larry Bird um, comparisons, that was kind of before the takeoff of Jokic, right. where you really started playing at MVP levels. But this, this guy can do it all. And when we kind of make fun of him for being a bad defender, he's really not a bad defender. He's just not no, a great. He's, he's not, not a plus defender. He's well, a little slow, but he's he's so smart. He's positionally a very good defender. Right, right. It's he's not the athletic like archetypical uh, you know stud lockdown guy, but right. he is in the right spot at the right time, which really counts for something. And the Nuggets have an outstanding defensive rating this year. He's the anchor of the defense. It's not like they have good perimeter defenders. So yeah, yeah no, I I agree. And for me right now. If there's four, I think there's a clear top four for guys I'd want to lead my team and guys that I would trust to go far into the playoffs with as your best player. And that's Kevin Durant, yep. Giannis Antetokounmpo, yep. Steph Curry, and Nikola Jokic. Mm. Yes. For me, those are the four that I think easily are above everybody else who have the impact day in, day out. And Jokic is the prime example of somebody who's, who's lost Jamal Murray to start this year. Um, now Michael Porter Jr. is going to be out a while. And the rest of this Nuggets roster is not that good. Like, if you had Carl Anthony Towns instead of Nikola Jokic, they'd probably be like two and seven. Oh, but for sure. Yeah. They, they could yeah. be worse. He's absolutely carrying. He's shooting 60% from the field, 40% from three, even though he's getting doubled and he's the best player. It's, it's remarkable what he's doing. It is truly remarkable. Yeah. I, I'm just going to add, I think. Um... <laughs> I would replace Steph with Luca in that in that conversation for top four, but I do get where you're coming from. I had a feeling you would. Don't I worry. think Jokic <laughs> is top four. I think you're right. I, I don't think time. that's it's time. It, that, there's no way to get around it. The other question I would have is like, should Embiid be in that conversation? Not for the playoffs, but for the regular season, he might be in there. That, Embiid, that I'm actually yeah. bringing that up soon, but yeah. Yeah, no, but it's it's like even though Nikola, Jok- I know if you're listening to this and you say, "Well, Nikola Jokic was the MVP last year," doesn't that make him the best player in the league? Like, you you know that's not actually how it works. LeBron James no. would have been MVP nine out of ten years in a row. Um, it yeah. it just MVP more so recognizes individual greatness in a season, but when you do this a second year and you're you're improving, <laughs> like that that says something about. Your, your status in the league. And Nikola right. Jokic can no longer be argued that he is a generational talent, a superstar, a tier one guy in the NBA. I will say Kawhi is also still in that top tier. He's just Yes, he is. Hurt, he is. But, and hopefully um, he comes back full strength and yeah. can push that too. Yeah, but no, Jokic, Jokic is a top four player. There's just no way around it. He's past LeBron. In my opinion, he's past Steph. I think I'd put him at number three. Three, I think I'd put him at three, right behind it's, Durant yeah. and uh, Giannis. It's very possible. He's. I. I wanted to say top three, and I said, well, you know, I. I still really, really love what Steph's done this year, but you know, I'll. I'll put them both up there just based well, on. So I, I don't have the Warriors on my takeaways list. I will bring them up real quick just to say, if you go through their schedule, it has been like insanely easy, and while they've looked great. They haven't even come close to playing like a, a gauntlet whatsoever. So oh, yeah, right. They're gonna go through it. They're gonna lose some games. Their team Definitely. is not Definitely. that good. I'm sorry, Golden State fans. It's good, but 
but it's not it's not I know Stephen A. Smith just predicted them to win the championship and everything. They're not at that level. I'm sorry. They need that fourth superstar, in my opinion, because all these other guys will not be enough to beat one of the top three seeds in the East, in my opinion. It could be it could win the West. I don't think it could beat the Easter Conference powerhouses. But yeah, I on to yeah. my yeah. You have anything well, to add to that say, before I jump? I was just gonna say that I, I I think the Warriors will win the West, but we could talk about that for our towel boy take of the day. I got I got something for us. Today. Okay, but you go it. ahead. Number two, I just brought this up, but Embiid is the new Harden when healthy. When healthy is obviously important here, but what I mean by that is James Harden for you know five years on the Rockets was a guaranteed top three seed in the West, basically. And what I'm saying right now is no matter who you put around Joel Embiid, you take away Tobias Harris, their $35 million player. You take away Ben Simmons, their other $35 million player. You put Tyrese Maxey, Seth Curry, Furkan Korkmaz, like all these like role players, not even like upper tier role players necessarily. And you put them around Joel Embiid, and as long as they can shoot and space the floor and, you know, create a little bit on the perimeter to help him out, he is just a powerhouse in the regular season. And he can carry a first seed team like he's doing now and get two wins against the Chicago Bulls, who only have three losses this season so far, uh, two of them to the Sixers. He is just really special. And what he does on both ends of the floor can't go unnoticed at this point because he hasn't won a championship. He hasn't even made an Easter Conference Finals. But he <laughs> really impacts the game. And if you have him on your team, and especially if you get a guy like Dame or Beal next to him at some point in that Simmons trade, even a guy like Darren Fox, you're going to be looking at a team that should be really good in the playoffs because I think that he can carry over what he does in the regular season into the playoffs with the right team around him. I I think it's a a very fair comparison, but the one thing that kind of and I know this you may not be thinking of this and, and may say that this isn't really what your comp came from, but for me the only difference is that James Harden didn't get hurt like ever. Well, I, that's why I added when healthy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But I I agree. I when Joel Embiid's on the floor in the regular season. He's not getting doubled every possession, and right. his role players aren't clanking every shot because they're chokers yep. in the regular season. They're chokers in the postseason. <laughs> um, <laughs> and yeah, he's and the impact that Joel Embiid has on both sides of the floor, and and really now that the NBA has really fought back against flopping and in these guards drawing fouls. I mean, the two players that I think of that draw the most contact now. I mean, Giannis is uh, three. So there's Giannis. There's Joel Embiid and Jimmy Butler that really don't flop and still get calls. And Embiid's been able to kind of still draw that contact and use that physicality to his advantage and yeah. just have this overall impact on defense as well that allows his teammates to have so much space to operate because everybody's worried about Embiid just bullying them down low. And yeah, he he's he takes over games. He pretty much controls every game when he's in, kind of like Jokic. Like I said, the only two big men that are able to do that, I'm not counting Giannis, really. He's kind of just a wing freak. But, yeah, right. I, no, yeah. I, I agree with the take. I don't have too much to say other than that. 
Yeah, no, that's fine. I don't either because we kind of touched on it a second ago. But yeah, he's just really impressive. And I want to see him with the max player next to him that isn't Ben Simmons, whoever that may be. Yeah, let's see it, please. <laughs> please. It's about time. Uh, all right, my number two. I'm officially sick and tired of the Boston Celtics. I don't think they have a future with Tatum and Brown, and I think they need to change it up. Oh, so that's a big take, yeah. Here is what I would propose. There, there's two options. If there truly is tension between Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, and they truly think it could be an issue, then it may be time to explore a massive, massive trade for a superstar that involves Jalen Brown. And maybe a guy like Damian Lillard isn't even worth it because of the age difference. But if the Boston Celtics see an opening this year in the Eastern Conference to try to make the finals, and if they think that adding a player that is better than Jason Tatum and allows Tatum to be their 1B would get them there, then they need to go for it now. And if there is not real tension between Tatum and Brown, then a Marcus Smart, Peyton Pritchard, Romeo Lankford, whatever other young guys they need in there, and first-round picks needs to be the package to net a player that is similar in skill to Jalen Brown, maybe a little bit worse, that can really act as a boost over Marcus Smart. Because what I've seen from this team is just iso ball that gets them nowhere offensively. They don't have a true point guard playmaker on this team. It's a serious problem. And I don't know how to fix it. The Celtics are kind of lacking. They, You know how everybody talks about the most important position in basketball is having a wing now. And it's true. Right. But the Celtics only have wings. They have no point guard. They have no true big man that poses a problem for defenses. Like, that's all they have. And they have Tatum and Brown, who are awesome, but they're individual scorers who need a point guard to set them up clearly it's not working down the stretch of games, and, and they're not winning as many games as they should be against inferior um, opponents, and something has to go. Something has to be changed. Yeah, the first thing that needs to be changed is a Marcus Smart trade. I don't know when the deadline for that is because I think he got an extension this summer, but he needs to get out of there. He just, at this point, he was like the guy that provided them with the energy for a long time, he was the guy that everybody, he still is the guy that everybody says is the heart of the team. But at this point, I honestly think he's more disruptive to their two best players than he is helpful. He needs to get out of there. The Jalen Tatum thing, I'm starting to wonder things about Jason Tatum. I'm starting to wonder, look, he's still young, so this could change drastically. But I'm starting to wonder if the team takes on his identity of being soft. And I, like, what I mean by that is Jalen Brown seems like a guy that would carry a really, like, rough, physical, like, like not complaining about fouls, like, just lock down on defense, grind out possessions kind of player, and, like, he would lead that kind of team, whereas Tatum seems like the kind of guy that would lead a team similar to the 2020 Lakers where every single like possession, three out of five players on the court are going up to the ref at the same time and be like, oh, why didn't you call that? Blah, blah, blah. I'm wondering if the Celtics as a whole are suffering because their best player is not a 
physical, like, I don't know, alpha male kind of leader, like Jimmy Butler and Joel Embiid. And, and I don't know, there just, there just seems to be a disconnect there. What that's leading me to say is, I wonder if you could trade Tatum for Dame, something like that, straight up. And then you build a team around Jalen Brown, who has been better than Tatum this season and was arguably better than Tatum last season. I just wonder if that's a possibility. It could reshape the identity around Jalen instead of Tatum's personality, and I think that might be beneficial for a basketball team. So I I didn't mention a trade for Tatum because I I think it's just – I think it's too much of a stretch. I don't think the Celtics would would ever actually do it. But to your point, um, being a leader, that seems like something that Jason Tatum has lacked lately. And I I think a lot of it does have to do directly with his – on-court performances he's he's been so inconsistent this year five games he shot terribly under 40 percent under 38 percent and five games he's he's shot really well it's just you never know when you're going to get a solid Jason Tatum and I can't even say that he's going to be an elite playoff performer game in and game out anymore with what I've seen this year and even last year at some points so we have to start having the conversation as to where should we re-rank Jason Tatum? Because for the last couple of years, he's been in that 10 to 15 or 18 range. But a lot of those guys that you look at in that range, Donovan Mitchell, Trey Young, John Morant's up there. Are these guys better than Jason Tatum now? Because now it's a serious debate. And the answer well, could the be J- yes to all of them. The Jalen Brown, J- Jason Tatum debate is real yep, and it is. should be taken seriously. And, you know, perception, it's just like you said. Perception is that Tatum is in that 15 to like 13 to 20 range and that Jalen Brown is in like a 22 to 30 range. If that swaps from, you know, a national media perspective, you could be looking at a trade of Jason Tatum for a guy like Damian Lillard instead of Jalen Brown. It just, it could happen. I'm not saying it will happen because it's really hard to flip narratives like that, but Based on literal performance on the court, it's really – I think it's actually a stretch to say Tatum has been better than Brown over the last year and a half. There's there's no denying who's been more consistent and reliable game. In. Like Tatum's peaks could easily – like you could argue they're still way better than Jalen Brown's. Agreed. I, I, they are. They are. But For sure. Like who do you want in a random game in the regular season? I, I don't think it's close. Like Jalen Brown's always locked in. Defensively, offensively, he is times where Tatum on defense. Like, what oh is, my god! Like sometimes, like I watch Jason Tatum and say, "What are you doing?" Right, and you cannot have your best player with that many "What are you doing?" moments. It's it's just not it's not good. Jalen uh, Brown might be a top five perimeter defender in the league. He's right up there with Jimmy and Drew. He is yeah, he's, that he's good. Fantastic. He is. He is. All right. On to my number one. All I wrote for this one is Ja Morant is here. You just brought him up. My question is, are we at the point where Morant has passed Booker? Are we at the point where Morant has passed Donovan Mitchell and maybe even Jason Tatum? Is Ja Morant the 13th best player in the league? Because he's playing like it this year. He played like it in the playoffs last year. And I feel like he's only getting better. It's not something with Tatum where it's like, oh, he's inconsistent. He he might not give this to us the whole season. 
what he does isn't going to go away. Um, another guy I'm going to add in that mix is Trey Young. Is John Morant better than Trey Young? Would you pick John Morant for the next, you know, five years over Trey Young? All of these questions, I I think the answer is yes to to at least most of them. Donovan Mitchell's the one where I'd really question it, but here, yeah, here here's what I'll say on that. Um, kind of, I'd say last year there were way more John Morant comparisons to two other players, De'Aaron Fox and Shai Gilgis yep. Alexander, yep. and. It was fair. I mean, both both of those other guys, Fox and and SGA, are are elite elite playmakers and, and scorers, and they have a lot of potential. But they don't have the impact and ability to take over a basketball game that John Morant is developing before our eyes. And last year, we even saw it where look the the Sacramento Kings have a good amount of talent, but De'Aaron Fox is nowhere near their their guy their leader that you see when he anytime he's on the floor he's clearly the guy that is going to make the right play every time and John Moran is clearly the leader of the Memphis Grizzlies one of the best leaders in the league and that to me along with of course on-court performance is what's pushed him up into the same tier as guys like Tatum Trey Young Donovan Mitchell where I know those are the the go-to guys I know we just talked about Tatum but he has been and those are the go-to guys, and that is where John Morant is now. And show me a stat that can that can prove that John Morant's not there yet because he is. Yeah, no, I, I there aren't a lot of young players I'd pick over him. The Zion Jaw debate is gone for now. Over. Um, for now, uh, look, Zion still scored at a historic pace when he was on the court. Um, but, yeah, but now he's three hundred pounds. So I'm just kidding. Shut <laughs> okay. up. All right. Um. Anyways, there are not many young players I would I would pick over Jaw at this point. He's just showing to be a consistent force in the regular season and the postseason. I, so, and I I made this comparison not from a positional perspective, but from the kind of you know when, when you really think about a player, like what do you picture? And, and you agreed with me, and I'm just seeing it more and more. But John Morant's leadership style is so close to Jimmy Butler's. Um, I I see him in the same way of just being this leader that everybody loves, who's fighting hard each and every game, can show up really clutch, backs up their words most of the time. Shout out to Jimmy. Um, Stupidly it, it, locked it's, in. It's just, that's what I see at a jaw. I, I see a guy who, look, even if he's not putting up 45 points a game, like Donovan Mitchell or Jason Tatum may, He's having more of an impact because he's But that, he is. He's putting guy. up more points than those guys this well, year. Well, I know, I know. But even yeah. before that. And right. I, I don't I don't expect John Morant to, to average twenty six to twenty eight this year. I expect him to go back down to the twenty two, twenty three range. So there may they may score more. Like Trey Young is going to outscore John Morant this year, in my opinion, but that doesn't tell the story at all based on what kind of player John Morant has no. is and the impact he has. So yeah, it's very possible that he has completely jumped to the top of that young player ranking and right. really is behind, like, who? Like, Luca? Like, no, it'd be... Well, are you talking about young players? Yeah, I'm thinking, like, like oh. I'm not counting Jokic and Embiid because they're kind of established um, in primes, but, like, Luca's still a young guy. But besides Luka that, like, and... who says he's not two? No, he is two. <laughs> I'm thinking, I mean, it's it's between him and Mitchell because we can't discount the fact that 
when the playoffs come, Donovan Mitchell is, you know, just as good of a scorer as anybody else in the entire league. Um, and he has been for like two or three seasons now. Yeah, so no, it's, it's fair. It's probably between Mitchell and Ja. Yeah, it's crazy. He's really shot up. He is, I, at this point, he's a consensus top 20 player. I won't listen to anybody else. Top 20, yeah. No, I, I, we're, we should be looking at top, like, 15. I mean, yep. really, if, if, if I'm putting him at where I'm saying I'm putting him, which is ahead of Trey and, and let's just say ahead of Mitchell and Booker and everybody, that puts him at basically 13 or 14 right behind Paul George and Jimmy Butler. Yeah. Somewhere in that range. Behind it's, it's Davis, crazy. PG, and, and Jimmy. Yeah, the, the jump's been insane. And Dave. The, the, the efficiency, the overall stats across the board have gone up. And he's doubled his steals. Like, yeah. No, he's <laughs> Out of ridiculous. the blue. Yep. First two years, he averages 0.9. He goes up to 1.7 now. He's just, the effort that he puts in each and every game is inspiring. That's why he was one of my favorite players coming into the league. You I were a big jaw year. guy. Yeah, I was. I love jaw. I said he was going to be special. Here he is. I love this guy. Yeah. But moving on to my last one. And you did touch on this team again because you decided to group together half the East. But, <laughs> you know, I'm not going to yell at you too much. I would. I, I think the, the most impressive team to me this year has been the Washington Wizards. Oh, God. And... I don't get it. Like I, I completely overlooked this team. I didn't really take as it. you should have. But look at the roster. They got 10, 11 rotation guys that I think could could really be a factor going forward. Hachimura uh, has not played yet. Rui's been out. TB's been out. Thomas Bryant. Bertans is hurt. And they have Dinwiddie, Beal, KCP, who's kind of trash, but whatever. Gafford, who's good. Montrose Harrell, like you said, kind of like the joke MVP candidate so far. Kyle Kuzma has been really good somehow. Denny could develop. He's still kind of shy. He needs to step out of that shell. Aaron Holiday, completely forgot he even came to this team. I, I Look, there's, they're not superstars by any means. Bradley Beal's the only star on this team. But they have a lot of role players who have this attitude of needing to prove that they still have it. Right. With Dinwiddie, with Montrezl Harrell, with Kyle Kuzma. And I don't think that this is just a short-term surprise of being six and three. I, the wizards Whoa. to me, I, the wizards to me are a lock for the top 10 in the East. They're going to easily make the play. in. I think they're going to be, they're going to make the playoffs. They'll probably play in the play in as a seven or an eight, or I really think they could push for a six seed. That's where I see this team right now. They, their defense is, is miles and miles above where it is last year, based on who they're sending out to play, play basketball. This team is they did hustling just more. Beat the Bucks. <laughs> they did just beat the Bucks. I did um, see that. They're, no, it's crazy. Well, also you saw the other game tonight. The the Magic just beat the Jazz. So who knows what that was? That's crazy. Yeah. But, but no, I I I'm a believer in this team. I'm not saying that the Wizards are a contender. I like I didn't really mean a Raptors Finals contender. I meant to get to the second round. And right. Frankly, I think the Wizards could make a push and really challenge teams in the first no, round. No, no, no. Look, I, when we say that, we have to think about the teams that they'd be upsetting. Miami, Milwaukee, Brooklyn, Philadelphia. Those are the four best te- You can maybe throw Atlanta in there instead of Philadelphia based on what happens with the Philadelphia roster. Those are the teams they'd have to upset. The teams that are upset worthy by any, like, of the the teams we've been talking about, 
It's only Philadelphia and Atlanta. Miami, Milwaukee, and Brooklyn are locks to get to the second round, barring injury. So Agreed. Agreed. So they have to beat Atlanta or Philly. Can the Wizards beat Atlanta or Philly? I don't think so. I really don't I think, think so. The Wizards can take two to three games off of both of those teams, as well as the Chicago Bulls. I think that they're pushing that tier where I, I really think they can go out and compete with these teams. Maybe not beat them. I said they can make a push to get out of the first round. I don't, I'm not saying they're going to, but I, I seri- when I look at the roster, I actually see a lot of veteran talent that has something to prove. Right, they're I, good. I think they could, the yeah. East is good, but good doesn't like sec- making the second round is not easy. You know, like it's not just like a thing you do if you're not a good team. And like, or sorry, let me rephrase that. It's not just a thing you do. Like, if you're not a great team, like we know Milwaukee and Brooklyn and Miami are, you don't just, like, peruse the playoffs and make the second round. You you have to grind through a matchup against Joel Embiid or Trey Young and everybody else in that Hawks rotation. And this Wizards team, while it's good, and while they're going to win some regular season games, it's not playoff-ready enough with just a singular star to take on those two teams that made the the second round last year and went seven against each other because they're both you know really good teams, it's just not going to happen. Give me give me the Wizards and the Raptors based on what I've said over the Cavs, Knicks, Hornets, Celtics in terms of upset potential to that other tier. Knicks the Hawks is close for me. What Knicks, I, see I would out of the take Wizards, over the Wizards. I, I, I don't know what it is. I think this Wizards team is legit. I really do. Let's not forget what happens to Montrezl Harrell every playoffs, though. Sure. I'm not saying they're going to beat a team, but the Wizards could scare some teams with, with who they're sending out. And based on how hard they've played this year, which is so different from last year, I, I've been very impressed. And I think that the chemistry is going to build. Remember, this is a completely new team. Hasn't been together, and I I'm a fan of it. I I'm a supporter. I'm a believer. I'm rooting for them, and I, I think they're gonna actually make some noise, get to the playoffs, and take a game or two, maybe even three off one of these teams that we consider to be better. Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, on to Talboy takes. Yep, I wanted to do a way too early finals prediction. Just okay. the two teams that'll make it. Uh, okay. Real quick. So go ahead. Let me know who you got. I'm going to say I think Kyrie Irving will be back by the end of the year. I'm going Brooklyn in the East, and I am going – the West is freaking impossible. If Jamal Murray's back, I'm going Nuggets. If he's not back, I don't want to say Lakers. I just don't like these other teams enough. I mean, again, like if Golden State makes that trade for the fourth guy, then Golden State easily. If Jamal Murray's back, then Denver. But if neither of those happen, then I'm going Lakers. Fair enough. The Lakers have not looked good so they have far. Not. My, my LeBron the has missed there. a lot of time. But he has. Yeah. He has. Maybe that's him playing it safe, which probably is. So I I am genuinely concerned about Kyrie Irving. I really don't know if he's going to come back, and I, I'm not going to make this prediction assuming he's coming back because I don't really think he will. So 
I, I, I know it's been a hot start, and it's only been 10 games, but I have a new prediction out of the East. I really uh, think the Miami Heat are oh going to make the God. finals. And they're going to play against the Golden State Warriors, who was they were my preseason prediction to make it out of the West. And I the team looks really good. I think Clay is going to come back and be pretty healthy. And the Splash Brothers will be reunited. They were going to make the finals. I don't know who's going to stop this team. I don't know. The Utah Jazz, I will never have faith in after no, they consistently no. let me down. Zero so we, we can't buy it. They just lost the magic. We can't buy Correct. it. And the Lakers, they they just don't look the part. I said they'd be a really good regular season team and not make the finals. And they're not a really good regular season team, and they're still not going to make the finals. <laughs> so I, I I just see a path for the Warriors. And I, I really think that Steph can can lead a team against any other team in this Western Conference. So Heat Warriors is my new prediction. And let's see how long that lasts before I have to change it. I do think that the Heat um, will beat the Bucks if they play yeah. in a playoff series. Like, let's look back two years ago. Heat win in five. Last year, add Drew Holiday, add P.J. Tucker. Bucks win in four. Heat, add P.J. Tucker, add Kyle Lowry. I think the, the series flips, but now it's going deep. I think this, if they play this year, this one is the six or seven game series. Definitely. Um, I agree. And I think Miami flipped it back, but Milwaukee could still be better than them. They have just as much talent. They're just as good. It's really just a matter of like who's hitting, you know, those like last three shots in, in the biggest game of the season. And I like Lowry and Jimmy and Bam and Hero more as just shot creators and and clutch factor than Middleton drew um Giannis and you know add Brooke or DiVincenzo whatever it may be I just like I like the the shot creation and just the grittiness of of the heat for a little bit more but damn that would be a crazy series to see three years in a row there's there's no denying it would be the best matchup of the three years like this oh for sure well it's like no both denying. teams loaded up right yeah, yeah like is, they lost to each other and they made adjustments accordingly yeah. this would be crazy yeah it would be epic i hope we get it and i guess i hope Kyrie comes back i don't know it's a disaster with him I, I I can't yeah. trust it right now. I can't trust it. I don't. I don't. I really don't know if he's going to come back. I think he'll come back. It's just like it would be crazy if he missed a year in his prime on a championship contender. If you, if know. you woke up to the news that he's retiring tomorrow, would you be shocked? Yes. Yeah. He said I would he's not, not retiring. He already. I wouldn't said be it. shocked. No, he I would said not it shocked. though. Okay. He also said the world was flat, and then said he changed his mind or was joking. Did he right. actually change his mind or was joking? No. Yes. No, he's just definitely. Well, he, he, de- he, I he think changed he his joking. mind. He wasn't joking. He was totally joking. See, right. I, I I don't know. Did you That's hear Aaron Rodgers say that he was not a what did he say? He's he like said he was immune. I'm not an anti-vax flat earther. Like adding the flat earther in there just clearly indicates that you're only talking like you basically said I'm not Kyrie Irving. <laughs> which is hilarious. Like he should have just said, I'm not an anti-vaxxer. The flat earther had nothing to do with the situation. Yeah. Just really funny. Yeah. But, uh, all right. Those are our, each of our five takeaways and our finals predictions. And Landon, I'm sure you're going to have many more pods over the next few weeks, breaking down this NBA season, which has been really exciting to start. 
really competitive for both conferences, and there there isn't really a a clear runaway Brooklyn Nets with Kyrie Irving that's going to dominate the league. And oh, and not that's, even close. That is, yeah. That's a that's a curveball from what we've seen with past dynasties. So the league's in a really good place right now, and it's been a really interesting start to the season. It has. All right. But yep. Thanks everybody for listening. Stay tuned for more podcasts coming out soon. Peace. Always remember to embrace your inner towel, boy.